Hi there, I'm Father Patrick and this is the podcast for college Catholics. If you're new to this podcast, um, I'd like to let you know that um, my intention is to present the Catholic faith following the structure of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and geared toward college students. So if you go to episode number two, there I start presenting the foundations of the Catholic faith, the existence of God, what God's revelation to man is, and the contents of that revelation through Jesus Christ. After presenting the contents of faith, I move on to the seven sacraments instituted by Jesus Christ as channels of grace. Now we're at the end of the section of the sacraments, and hopefully afterwards we're going to go to the commandments, and finally the practice of prayer. So now we've been talking about marriage in the recent episodes, so today I will present the way this sacrament is celebrated and some other related questions uh, related to the topic of how the marriage is celebrated, marriage consent, and so forth. So one of the most important aspects of marriage is that when celebrated between two baptized people, it is a sacrament. It is one of the seven sacraments instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, there's a celebrant, there are elements that constitute the sacrament itself, without which there is no sacrament, and there are particular graces and duties attached to it. So the first thing to have in mind is that when the sacrament of matrimony is celebrated by two Catholics, it should normally take place within the context of the Holy Mass. And that's because the Mass is the renewal of the sacrifice of Christ, by which he gave himself for the life of the church, his bride. And in that way, Jesus became united to her. Jesus became united to the church. So it makes sense that the spouses should seal their own personal covenant with each other, a covenant that is symbolic of the union between Christ and the church, in union with the sacrifice of the Mass, right? Or within the sacrifice of the Mass, in which Christ unites himself to his bride, the church. A second aspect of the celebration of marriage is that in order for graces, for the graces of the sacrament to be fruitful in the couple, the bride and the groom must be in the state of, of sanctifying grace, the state of grace. And therefore, it would be better if they could receive the sacrament of penance or confession at some point before the wedding to make sure that they are in their best spiritual disposition for such an important moment in their lives, and especially to receive all the graces that God in his greatness and mercy gives us, right? Now, as we said, it's a sacrament, and therefore there's a minister, and there's particular graces and duties and so forth. So as far as the minister, and who is the minister of the sacrament, in the Latin church, that is, the church in the West, the ministers of this sacrament are actually the bride and the bridegroom. They are the ministers of the sacrament. Normally people might think that the priest or deacon is the one who administers the sacrament, but this is not the case. In the Latin church, that is basically what we would call the church in the West, the ministers are the husband and the wife who administer the sacrament by giving and receiving their matrimonial consent. The priest has to be there, but he's a witness who blesses the union and 
takes it up or receives it in the name of the church. Now, in the Eastern liturgies or Eastern churches, it is different because there the minister is the priest. But I'm not going to get into that because that might cause a little confusion. So, because the ministers of the sacrament are the bride and the groom, there's a very important element for the wedding to effectively take place, and that is the matrimonial consent. The matrimonial consent is that action of the bride and the bridegroom by which they freely and explicitly offer and receive each other exclusively as spouses for the rest of their lives. Now, that is a lot of words right there, but all of them are important, right? So, all what I said there, it's kind of a lot of stuff and concepts in there, but it's important to understand it correctly. For a marriage to be valid, there has to be a baptized man and a baptized woman who are free to get married and freely express their mutual consent to receive each other as spouses. By free, here the church means that there are no, that both persons are not under any type of constraint and that they are not impeded by any natural or, or ecclesiastical law to enter into that covenant of marriage. So just as a simple, very simple example, if one of the two people are already married sacramentally to someone else, they are not free to marry. Or another example would be that if they are, one of them is five years old, they are not free to marry. And there are many other several examples where a person is not free for different reasons to marry another person. A key element, then, of, for the marriage to take place is that there has to be a proper exchange of the consent between the spouses. And this is an indispensable element that makes the marriage. In other words, the mutual exchanging of the consent is what constitutes the marriage and makes it happen effectively. If there is no proper consent, there is no marriage. And as you can imagine, therefore, that moment in the mass and in the marriage, right, in the rite of marriage, is more important than all the parties and celebrations before or after, all the external aspects and so forth, the dress and the music and the church. Well, the fact that it's in the church is important, but what church it is, how many roses there are, all those things are accidental compared to this consent. Now, what is that consent? Well, the giving and taking of the consent is when the bride and the groom, during the ceremony of the wedding, say those words, I take you to be my wife, the case, in the case of the groom, and in the case of the bride, he, she says, I take you to be my husband, etc. Right? So it is a human act done with clear conscience and with a deliberately free will by which each spouse takes the other exclusively and for the rest of their lives to be their spouse, to form a partnership, to become one flesh, and in that way to form a family and bring up children if that is God's will. Now for this consent to be valid, 
It has to be given by each spouse with complete freedom, without any kind of coercion or any kind of grave external fear. If there is no such freedom, there is no marriage. Besides, the consent, of course, has to be given by the persons themselves, so no other human power can substitute for that consent. This is why, if there is coercion or grave fear in giving the consent, the marriage is invalid, even if all the other external aspects of the right take place. So this is why, uh, among any, uh, many other possible reasons, this is what can make a marriage null or void if there is no proper matrimonial consent. So in those cases, the marriage never existed, even if it looked like it, or even if that man and that woman lived together for several years and had children. If the consent was not there the day of their marriage, that marriage is null. In other words, there was no marriage bond, and they would be free to marry someone else if they wanted, or actually, they are free to marry each other if they so choose to do so. But they have to renew that marriage or marital consent. So this consent, to be free and deliberate, also requires that the spouses know what the basic responsibilities of marriage are. And who, are, who is the other person, right? So they have to know what they're getting into with a certain clarity. This consent uh, also, of course, has to be given and taken by the spouses before or in front of the Catholic ecclesial community, that is the church. That is why the marriage ceremony has to be conducted before a priest or deacon, and there are other, other, there are other aspects to complete that form of the marriage, right? The priest or deacon is the one who receives the consent of the spouses in the name of the church and gives them the church's blessing. But he's not the minister of the wedding, of the sacrament. Uh, the ministers are the husband and the wife, or the bride and the groom. In the wedding ceremony, it is required also to have some witnesses. And in part, this is because it is a public liturgical act but also partially because the spouses will have obligations and responsibilities toward their church and toward their children and toward society. And also there has to be witnesses so that there may be witnesses that the marriage took place. And also so that the witnesses can hold the spouses accountable in the fidelity to their consent. That moment where they said, I do, that they gave once, but that should be extended to their entire lives. This is why it is so important to understand properly the nature and the duties and responsibilities of being married. You know, for the bride and the groom, they must take time to prepare oneself intellectually and spiritually, taking time during the dating or courting period and the engagement to get to know the other person as much as possible. And this is crucial to the success of the future family that they hope to form. This is why the uh, Catholic Church usually recommends that a Catholic should marry someone who shares their Catholic faith. Now, while the, while the, the Church accepts what, the, what are called mixed marriages, that is a marriage between a Catholic 
and a and a baptized non-Catholic spouse or a Christian spouse, and also marriages with disparity of cult are accepted. That is, marriages between a Catholic and a non-baptized person. Nevertheless, the church requires a special permission from the church authority for those two types of marriages to take place. Because it is important for both parties to understand the difficulties that will probably come up between each other down the road when making moral choices for their family, for their children, and for when, when bringing up their children, you know, how they're going to educate it, what faith are they going to teach them. So these difficulties typically will bring about tensions and disputes that sometimes might lead to a sort of religious indifference or disregard for the law of God altogether. Hopefully, that is not the case, and hopefully they will come together in their own common proper faith as well. Now, for more, I don't want to enter into a lot of details in this aspect. For, for more uh, on this, I encourage you to read the numbers of the Catechism, 1634 through 1637. It's just a page. Uh, but that's very good to read. So, in the next episode, then, uh, we'll look into the effects of the sacrament of matrimony, that is, the spiritual bond that is created, and the special graces that are given to the spouses, and also the goods of matrimony, that is, the unity and indissibility of marriage, and the openness to begetting human life. Now, as a general bibliography, I highly encourage you to read an encyclical by John Paul II called Familiaris Consortio, or Familiaris Consortio in Latin, the family covenant, right? Uh, that goes more in depth on all this and is a must read for anyone preparing themselves to get married. I will put links in the notes to this episode, uh, in the notes below. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Also, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.